This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Today, I've got a subject that has really, it's just been on my mind a lot. Uh, It wasn't even something that I was planning to talk about, but it's something that I think is is worth a lot of consideration. It's something that I think a lot of us should, if you haven't already been considering this, it's something that's really helpful. And and so, yeah, we're straight out of left field, so to speak, today, because I actually keep a list of topics that I'm going to cover over time. But this one just hit me so hard a couple days ago, and I began to think, why not go ahead and just cover this on this week's episode? So uh, we're going to dive right in today, and but I hope that folks are, are getting a lot out of this. I, I hear a lot of, of feedback. A lot of people take the time to write to me. A lot of people tell to uh, take the time to tell me if they if they encounter me, if I'm at a meetup or something like that, and so uh, I'm, I'm appreciative for the appreciation that folks have for the work. And, and more importantly, one of the things that's really at the forefront of my mind is that I'm really thankful and I'm tremendously appreciative about people understanding the things that we're talking about. Because as as we've covered recently, we're, we're living in an age of mass misinformation. We're living in an age in user experience of, and by the way, no, none of this has anything to do with the topic. We're living in an age where those who are seniors in the discipline are, we're, we're shunned. We're cast aside. There are people that many who will try to say that we are dinosaurs, even though uh, everything that we did in UX 10, 15, 20 years ago is still relevant, highly relevant today. And a lot of people that are learning UX today don't get to learn the things that we knew. And that's sort of kind of where we're going today, because what I'm going to talk about may be something that we did early on, but you're going to see that it's something that's really critical. And if we did more of it, we'd be able to bring more value. But it's it's, it's really a trying time. It's a really trying time in UX. And, and so those of us who have spent X amount of time building a career and, and, achieving success in gaining wins for the users and for the business and, and representing our band, our brand properly only to have it cast aside because somebody really just doesn't want us to, to be a representation of what UX is about. It's really something when you see some of us building what it is that we're building to accomplish what it is that we're accomplishing to, to actually build a, a track record that nobody of a truth can really come against, can really, can really say anything detrimental or I hate using this word, but negative about 
Uh, but people still try to do it because they just don't want us to have representation. They call us gatekeepers. We're not gatekeepers. We're, we're not in the sense that they're talking about it. Boy, are you going to enjoy that? When I finish doing the research on gatekeeping, it presents some really interesting uh, uh, factors associated with that. Uh, where gatekeeping is always presented, give you a little sneak peek, uh, gatekeeping is always presented as a negative concept. But of a truth, gatekeeping is actually a good thing. And the people who engage in gatekeeping are people who have a lot of knowledge, who have a lot of history, who have a lot of experience, and and just trying to to embrace the things that are that are the core that are proven um, elements, factors, techniques of, of the discipline. And, and it's no different in any other discipline, but they, the people take the word gatekeeper and they put a spin on it and they try to make it sound like we're keeping people out. Folks, as many of you know, and maybe if you, maybe you're listening for the first time, maybe you don't know this about me, but I've been, I designed my first website in 1996. I didn't used to take credit for doing UX work back at that time. But when I look back at what I was doing, I was actually doing many things that we today consider to be part of the discipline, part of our techniques, part of our methods and methodologies, part of our deliverables. I did those things. I didn't call them the same thing. We didn't call it UX, but I took credit for that. So I've been around since 95. I firmly embrace that today. I take credit for that because I have a right to. I literally did the work. I'm not lying. I'm not misrepresenting anything, anything of that sort. So I do that. And so I'm try, I try to embrace what the discipline is about. And I try to encourage other people to do it. And I bend over backwards and I sacrifice and I make myself available. And I do a lot of things. We're not boasting. We're just citing facts, trying to help. Everybody who's interested in in being solid in the discipline and understanding the discipline, I do everything I can to help these people to to go forward in the discipline. Folks, based on the concept, the definition of gatekeeper that people present, that's not what a gatekeeper does. A gatekeeper, from their perspective, is a person who tries to keep people out. We're not trying to keep people out, me and people like me, we're not trying to keep anybody out we're trying to help people so that they will will actually embrace the proper approach to growing and solidifying themselves in the discipline there is absolutely nothing wrong with that and i will absolutely never apologize for encouraging people to be excellent never ever 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 but interestingly the same people who will accuse folks like me of being gatekeepers are the same folks that are today keeping people like me from getting positions of authority. You, when you look around and you see people that are running, work, uh, um, who are running UX departments, and nothing against anybody, just again citing the facts. Those people, uh, a lot of times, they don't have a lot of experience, and, and nothing against any of them. And, and some of them will tell you they don't know a lot about UX. They want to make sure they have solid UX people on their team. That's all wonderful. That's all great. Uh, But you have some people, they know they don't know, but they're faking it and they will tell you that they're faking it. Those kind of people don't want people like me around at all because when we start talking about what UX really is, we make them look bad. When we start talking about the discipline, people will look at them and go, what in the world have you been doing? 
when we start talking about the discipline and and delivering things that are required to get the work done, uh, people start looking at the the deliverables that other people have submitted and they begin to go, well, what in the world was this? And so a lot of times, and folks may say, uh, this isn't really talking about UX. Hey, it is, folks. This is the world of UX. On this show, we talk about any and everything related to the discipline, and it is. There's a little digression today before I get into what I want to share. A lot of people today, are they're doing the discipline damage. They accuse us of being gatekeepers, but they're really the gatekeepers. They're the ones that are trying to keep us from getting into positions. They're the ones trying to keep people like me from getting hired, and it is hurting the discipline. Who's going to mentor folks of a truth? It won't be the people that are faking it till they make it. That's for sure. And I've encountered a number of those people throughout the course of my career. Uh, so I guess we're calling out the character assassins. I, I do UX Uncensored too. So there's a little bit of UX Uncensored creeping in here today. And, and I take a risk in talking about this, but it needs to stop. Folks need to stop coming against people who are standing for the discipline. Folks need to stop with the character assassination. It's not doing anybody any good. It's not even doing the people who are guilty of the character assassination any good. We want to help you grow. <laughs> so where are you planning on going if you don't know or understand anything about the discipline today? So we really need to, to uh, embrace the true tenets of user experience. We need to all work to be as excellent as we can in the discipline we need to have very high levels of self-awareness so we know who we are, what we bring to the table, so we know who other people are, what they bring to the table, and making sure that we all encourage each other to shoot for the stars and be our absolute best. We don't put anybody down. We don't do anything derogatory with regard to anyone. We just keep shooting for the stars. Folks, this is what we need to be doing today in order to further the discipline. When people who are seniors, when people who are leaders, uh, thought leaders, practitioner leaders, whatever the case might be, when we do anything to, to put those people in a position where they are discounted, uh, I, I heard a uh, um, someone, one of my peers was talking about, and, and the person does phenomenal work. You can tell they know their stuff. They do all kinds of fantastic work and they can't get an interview. That's right. A, a lot of the juniors out there, I've talked about this before. I, I got, I'm, I'll be talking about the topic today for a very short period of time anyway. So it's okay for us to just digress here right now. Person is skilled at what they do. The person is very knowledgeable. Their acumen level is very high. Their emotional intelligence is great. They know how to build relationships. They know the strategy side of UX. They know how to, how to do the work. This particular person is specializes in research mostly, but they know how to do the work and they can't get an interview. And, and part of what I was going to say was that a lot of juniors will say, I can't get a job. I can't get an interview. What in the world is going on? Well, somebody promised you to get a job, which nobody can do. Then you get frustrated. I know I've said this before recently, but we're saying it again now. That's okay. They, they get frustrated. I got news for you. You're going to go through this your entire UX career. <laughs> your entire UX career, you can struggle 
because of all the craziness that's going on in the discipline. Yes, it's great to be in UX. Yes, it's a wonderful discipline. Yes, it's a very promising job market in general, but because so many companies are not mature in their UX, and because a lot of people working in UX, especially in leadership roles, are extremely insecure, and because people don't know how to evaluate talent, just those three factors alone, and there are many others, just those three factors alone are going to make it difficult for someone, whether you're qualified or, or whether you're entry level and just getting started, it becomes difficult to find something that is substantive, to find something that is a real, true fit. So no sense in complaining. You might as well throw that away. It's tough. UX is tough. The job, the job market is plentiful, but it's tough. And then you got to hope that people were being truthful during the interview process, because I know over the course of my career, I found folks that have not been. I've seen people that should not be hired and they are. I've seen people that should be hired and they're not. So, I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all, but it's happening everywhere. I remember a situation once where I interviewed for a job and why well, screen first they screened me. They wanted to make sure that I was a fit. By the time that call was about over, you're definitely a fit. Hey, we got, we got to move forward with you. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you. The next thing you know, I was getting one of those terribly rude and classless uh, thanks, but no thanks letters where they say uh, we, we decided to move forth with other candidates, candidates that are a better fit for the role. Well, whatever fit they're talking about, it apparently wasn't on the job, the job posting, because I matched everything on the posting and I got that. And and, and I, I, I could get into the details on it, but I won't. It just made no sense. And then somebody that's going to get the job is going to be dr dramatically less qualified. So when you were out there um, talking about not getting a job, welcome to the club. It's the way that things go. But the thing is, no matter what we go through, keep moving forward. Okay, that's it. And you don't want to carry what happened in that last position or that last interview, or that last job situation. You don't want to carry that with you because you'll manifest that in the interview process, and now this job might have worked for you, but you turned somebody off because of the attitude. So, hey, it's tough out here. Nobody owes any of us anything, and so we just have to continue to go forward, continue to fight the good fight, and one day something will something will open up. So that's the way, that's what we need to do. So at any rate, that's just almost like a recap of a few of the recent segments that we had on the podcast, but I just want to talk a few minutes about the topic. Here's the topic. Finally, <laughs> somebody said, good, finally, but somebody might not have find what I was just saying comfortable, but you know what? It's out there. It's reality. And, and the more we embrace reality, the better off we're going to be, the better off we're going to be from a mental health perspective. So let's go ahead and embrace it and make sure to go forward. Be resilient. You have to have thick skin as a UXer and you have to be resilient as a UXer. So the fact that you're not getting jobs, count it up as, as, a, as a win. Learn from the rejections. Use that fire to help you or use that as fuel for your fire to help you go forward. Don't let it break you down. Use it to help you get better. Find out, okay, well, I didn't get that interview. What can I do better? 
I didn't get that interview. What can I do to make myself more qualified? I didn't get that interview, but I need to still continue to build my skill, my knowledge, my acumen. That's the point of focus today. But anyway, I'm going to continue going on and on and never get to this. But you're going to see this is extremely short what I have to say today. And the topic for today is scenario-based design evaluations. It's a bland topic, but I just want to talk about the benefits, basically. The benefits of scenario-based design evaluations. Have you ever designed something or seen somebody design something and an assumption is made by yourself, stakeholders, other team members, oh, this looks fantastic. I know we've seen that. Well, this really looks great. I've seen people on social media, hey, I just did this design. It's up on Behance. Take a look at it. Tell me what you, how you think it looks. This is a UX person. When a UX person is asking, when you, if you, under the sound of my voice, are working on designs and then your mindset is, how does this look? You just sold yourself short. You're not evaluating your design the right way. Our design, is is it about how the design looks? To a degree, yes, because aesthetics are important. However, the most important thing from the UX perspective is that the design works. The most important thing is that the design allows people to accomplish what was in their mental models to do. It helps people fulfill their goals. It helps people to complete their tasks. When that happens, now we're cooking with gas. Now we're doing what it is that we set out to do or should have set out to do as UX designers, as UX professionals. One of the ways that we can get past the how does it look mindset is to make sure that we are auditing our designs by using scenarios. When we subject our designs to scenario-based evaluation, that's when the rubber meets the road. When we, we, I mean, I recommend putting together a list of scenarios. It could be 15. It could be 20. Somebody say, Darren, that that sounds like a lot. Welcome to the world of UX. Do you want to just get a paycheck or do you want to excel? Do you want to be somebody who can really drive the value of your team? Or do do you just want to be personnel decoration, if you will? Somebody who's just taking a seat. Scenarios, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50. Subject the design to scenarios, come up with tasks, come up with things. What is the person, what are our users? This is where knowing your users comes into play from a really strong perspective. What types of things are they trying to accomplish? What would a person try to do? You can use personas in this as well. What would persona A seek to do based on what we know about that persona? What would person B seek to do? What would person C seek to do? And so when you When you start to look at designs, applying the scenarios and then evaluating it from that perspective, it will help you to see things that you would not see if you just got up and looked at a design from an aesthetic perspective. 
when we when we judge things from an aesthetic perspective, we're selling ourselves short. We're selling our stakeholders short. We're selling our users and prospective users short. Can person A find what they're looking for on the site? Well, what might they be looking for? Well, person A is coming to the site. Uh, let's say it's an insurance site and the person is interested in finding a quote. They're interested in getting a quote on some home insurance. Okay, well, that's part of the scenario. And you can come up with a high level, about 15, 20 for starters, 15 to 20 high level bases by which to start with your scenarios. Then after you identify each one of the scenarios, make it a point to put the details in. Make sure you look at it from the user's perspective and no user is not a bad word. People say, yeah, don't, don't say users. You, that's what drug dealers call the people who buy drugs. Uh, I got news for you. They don't. Uh, I have nothing to do with drugs. I've never been involved with drugs. Uh, I, but I know for a fact, uh, because other people know, and they said, uh, that's not what drug dealers call the people they sell drugs to. So let's drop that. The people who use our stuff are called users. Okay. So let's, let's get on and get off of that. The, after you get all of your high level scenarios, make sure you, from the user's perspective, again, make sure you, if you, and, and document it, step one, step two, step three, what are they actually doing? And then enact, perform each one of these scenarios. And, and don't worry about the site so much when you're putting it together because the user isn't, they don't know anything about your site. So if you look at the site at the same time you're putting these together, you might cheat. You will. Some people will go through this exercise and they'll try to design in a way that it, it sort of lines up with the way the site is structured. If you do that, you're going to that's going to that's going to actually foster bias, and you're not going to get that trustworthy data. So, so this is a an act of research when you engage in scenario based design evaluations. So, you want to come up with these scenarios, list out, do them at a high level. Then list out the details and step-by-step step go through the site and doing it blind is beautiful. That's, that's a really great way to make sure that you're looking at it from the user's perspective and not from yours or some stakeholders. Don't let the stakeholders come up with anything because they'll be biased as well. Put it together. Put together all of these scenarios. You can always share the scenarios later, but in order for these things to be viable, you need to make sure that you understand the users. So that, or, and you can get information, a download from another person. You don't have to tell that stakeholder, that subject matter expert, what people are doing or what you're going to be doing with this data, but just put together these scenarios and then go in and try to perform the tasks. See if you're able to complete these tasks without any hiccups. Check and see, are there any errors? Are, are things really intuitive as you thought they were? And, and if this sounds familiar, it should. When we design usability testing, guess what we should be doing? So this is not new, is it? We're, we're just going through it ourselves, but you can also use some of these same types of tasks to help to structure and design your usability research the right way. You can set these things up. You're going to tweak it probably a tad, but the framework is going to basically be the same because we don't want to hear what people say. Don't say, hey, 
Uh, I saw a commercial for one really, really prominent tool and it was an ad online and they said, hey, so how do you like this design? And the person said, oh, I like it, yada, yada, yada. And this is for remote for remote usability testing. You don't ask people what they, I don't know who in the world came up with that ad, but it, it really contradicts the best practices associated with what the tool is used for. So it's sort of funny. Shame on you, usertesting.com. So anyway, it, it is, we want to make sure that we're looking at things from a scenario-based perspective, bring in subject matter experts if you need to, but make sure you're looking at your designs through the right lens. And when we look at a design through the right lens, we can evaluate it the right way. We can come up, make decisions really on what should or shouldn't be done. And that's what helps us bring value in our organizations. All right, folks, but that's all the time we have for today. So this is Darren Hood, the host of the World of UX podcast, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.